0: And the darkness has not overcome it. And briefly, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Anybody here, any kids maybe, have a problem with sleepwalking? No? Well, no one wants to admit it. I was a sleepwalker as a kid. Um, I know that because my mum used to tell me and um, I still have the problem as an adult. And the reason I know that is because I wake up in the middle of a sleepwalk, and it's the most weird experience. I mean, probably the most weirdest thing that's ever happened to me is um, one night I woke up, and I was halfway through a pot of yogurt. (laughs) True story. Um, That kind of thing generally doesn't happen, but um, what does happen is I'll wake up and I will be in the dark, standing up, and I have no idea where. It is the most weirdest feeling. Um, and and the first thing that goes through your mind, well, the first thing that goes through your mind, you're half asleep, so it's kind of just, it's, you know, you're, you're only barely conscious and you're just trying to get what's happening here, and then basically when you figure out, oh, I'm awake, okay, I'm out of bed, then the next thing is, where am I? And, you, and, and so what you're trying to do is figure out where you are, and it's all dark, and, and, and basically you're reaching around, for something, for some reference point in the house that you can recognise. And invariably what happens is I'll I'll figure, oh, this is where I am. And then I'll take a step and walk into a wall or something, which tells me, no, this is not where I am. I'm somewhere else. And then you go through, where am I? And it takes a while to try to figure out, where are you? Very strange. In John chapter 1, John pictures us as all sleepwalkers who have woken up as it were in the dark. He pictures the whole wide world in darkness, and this is an important description because darkness comes from Old Testament. And if you are in the dark, you are trusting in false gods. You are trusting in idols. And those who trust in idols, the Old Testament tells us, cannot see. They are blind. And so the picture is that they are walking around, they can't see, and they're trying to grab on to their idols, to their false gods. And what are they trying to do? What's an idol? An idol is something that someone trusts in for life. Does that make sense to you? Maybe this makes sense. Next to my mother's grave down in the Manawatu, near the farm where I grew up on, is a tombstone. And it says, golf was her life. Does that make sense? You understand what, do you understand what she lived for? I've heard other people say, work is my life. Or my kids my life. Do you understand what? If someone says, this is my life, that's what they're living for. That's what their life revolves around. That's what they are trusting in. That's where they're getting their happiness and satisfaction from. It's their idol. It's their false God. They won't go to church and sing to this God on Sundays, but Monday to Saturday... That's what occupies their hearts. That's what they live for. That's what it means to be in darkness. And John pictures here Jesus coming as a light into this darkness. And what's he doing? What does the light do? When you're in a dark room, you know, that's what I really need when I wake up in the middle of the night, in the middle of sleepwalking. I need to find a light switch which tells me where I am. What's this light doing? What is, light, what is Jesus doing coming into the dark world? The answer is in verse 18. Look in verse 18. No one has ever seen God because they're blind. But the one and only Son who is himself God, this is Jesus, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So Jesus comes into this dark world as a light, and essentially this is what John's Gospel is about, is you no longer need to try and find these idols that are going to satisfy you. I'll show you who the true God is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so in chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, listen to this. It kind of picks up on what Gary was saying. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Stop trusting in false gods is the message. Stop trusting in these things that you think will bring you life. If you want to know what the true God is like, look at Jesus. This is John's message. John 14, 9, you'll know it well. Anyone who has seen me has seen who? The Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. So what does that mean for you as you wake up tomorrow morning? As you go into 2020, I mean this after all is the end of the year message. It's you know supposed to be supposed to be looking towards next year. What does this mean for you and for I as we go into 2020? Well, John goes on to make another point. You see, if you want to know what Jesus is like, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. But if you want to know what Jesus is like, look at who? God's people. God's people. If you want to know what Jesus is like, Look at God's people. If that's the case, then what is it that you think should characterize God's people? That's the, that's the question, isn't it? How would you answer that question? How would you end this? If you want to know what God's people are like, look at what? Fill in the blank. If you want to know what you should be like... If you want to know what Christians are like, if you want to know what God's people are like, then look at fill in the blank. What would you say? People have a lot of ideas of what Christians should look like. I became a Christian when I was 19 years of, old, years of age in Palmerston North and I went into a Brethren Church because that was the crowd of people I was hanging out with and I'd been raised in the country, wasn't a Christian, um, just in an Anglican, Methodist, Presbyterian type country church, um, you know, stained glass windows, wooden pews. Went to the Brethren Church in Palmerston North, one of them there, Kingston Street Chapel, and they had New King James Bibles in the, in the pews. And I remember reading through one one day and all over the place it said brethren and I remember distinctly feeling thinking this must be it this is this is the true people of God this is this is the correct denomination obviously or whatever else other denominations out there obviously they're wrong because brethren Maybe you think that what should characterise the people of God is certain theology. We have doctrinal statements. Our churches have doctrinal statements to show what we believe. Or maybe you would say, well, Alan, it's confession. What characterises the people of God is to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Well, let's see how Jesus would answer that question because he doesn't give any of those answers. Let's see what Jesus says. Turn to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. He has done something that it would just seem odd and puzzling to them that this one who has come who has been sent from God would stoop so low to wash dirty feet. And then in verse 34 he tells see Jesus is going the context here Jesus is going away. He's returning to the Father, which is going to leave the disciples alone. Now if Jesus is going away, that means he's going to be absent. He's not going to be present. So how are people going to see Jesus when he's gone? Well, he gives them the answer. They're going to see them in you, in you 12 disciples, and in and, and the people to follow, the people who trust them. Now, he's sending the Holy Spirit to enable them to do this, but this is going to be their identity marker. This is how people are going to know what Jesus is like. This is how people are going to know that these people belong to Jesus. He says, A new command, verse 34, I give you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, look at this in verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, if you what? Go to church. By this, everyone will know that you follow me if you say you do. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you hand out gospel tracts. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, what does it say? If you believe a certain kind of theology. Or if you belong to a certain denomination, he doesn't say that. He says something here that transcends. That that it doesn't matter where in the world you are, you can do this. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you can do this. It doesn't matter how bright you are, you can do this. He says, "By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you what, love one another." So if someone doesn't know God, if someone who doesn't know, just think about this. If someone who doesn't know God walks into this building and wants to see God, what must they see? What, you tell me, what must they see? If someone who doesn't know God, we'll get to Jesus, but if someone who doesn't know God walks into this building, what must they see? Begins with J. Well, that begins with C, but yeah, they must see Christ. They must see Jesus, right? If someone doesn't know God and walks into the building, what must they see? They must see Jesus. But there's a problem. Jesus isn't here, not physically. Not physically, he's not here. So if Jesus is not here, how will anyone see God? Well, perhaps we could tell them about Jesus. Well, of course, telling them is obviously what we need to do. But telling them, listen to this, only takes a person so far. You just imagine if you've never seen a dog before, right? You imagine, imagine, a, imagine a kid. Imagine I've, I've, I've got a child and I, and I talk to them about dogs and, and I say, you've never seen a dog well, let me tell you about dogs. They've got, a, they've got a tail. Okay, let me describe what a tail is. And then they've got ears and then the, they've got fur and, you know, they're cute and cuddly. Some are. Some can be rather mean. And, and then I say, look, let's go off down to the library and we'll get every book we can out about dogs, right? And so I take the kid down to the library, study up about dogs. At the end of the day, do you know about, you know what a dog, oh, I think I know really well what a dog is like. And then I open the door, and through the door walks a dog. And the kid picks the dog up, and what does he say? Oh, this is totally unexpected. I never realized that a dog would be like this. Why? Because now he just doesn't know about a dog. He's experiencing one. He's feeling it. He's feeling the fur. He can see it firsthand. You see, it's not enough just to learn about Jesus, not enough just to tell someone about Jesus. Why? Because people need to experience him. People need to experience him. And how are they going to do that? By experiencing his love. And how are they going to do that? Through his people. When you think of Jesus, what do you think of? The cross. The cross, right? And when you think of the cross, what do you think of? Love. 1 John 3.16, the same writer writes this, "'This is how we know what love is. "'Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, "'and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters.'" I want to ask you a question. Do you experience that here at Hukanui? Think of what Jesus did for us. He demonstrated that we were worth dying for. Do you experience that from one another here? That you are worth dying for? Do you know people here who would die for you? Jesus laid down, laid aside his interests for us. Do you experience that here? Do you experience people laying aside their interests for you? He was separated from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated from the one in which for him was life. Do you experience that here? That people are are willing to be separated from what they find life in for you? Do you experience that kind of love? Are you that kind of person? Make it your aim in 2020 to be that kind of person. I want to leave you with this question. What prevents us from loving like that, loving like Jesus loved. It's our gods, our gods with a little g. It's our idols. It's those things that we, from Monday to Saturday, look to for life. A few years ago, Jackson, my middle son Jackson was 12 or 13 years of age and I was at home working and I was on the computer typing away, preparing for, preparing to teach class, and Jackson comes along and says, hey, Dad. And without even turning from the computer, I just say, hey, Jackson. Just continuing to type, continuing to work. And we start having this conversation. And I'm just, I'm just there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, that's good, right? And I just, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, this is, I think I'm doing what most men can't do, multitask. And I'm accomplishing two things at once. I'm working and I'm communicating with my son. I am an awesome dad. And then it suddenly hit me: what I was doing. You see, the background to this is at the time I was reading a book called How to Love You, How to Really Love Your Child. And you know, the, 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 there are studies done, and I've heard this before and it really intrigues me, there are studies done that you can tell your child that you love them every single day of their lives and they not believe it. You can say that you love them unconditionally every day, day of their lives and they not believe it. This really intrigues me because that's what I've done with my boys. I never had it as a, as a kid and, you know, I... Um, I just naturally love doing that. And ever since I were born, when I've been in the country, I've been around, I've told them every single day I've loved them. And so it's puzzling to me that you can actually say that and them not believe it. And you just scratch your head and you think, why? And all of a sudden it hit me. You know, like bolt of lightning hit me. This is why kids grow up not believing that they're unconditionally loved by their parents. Because they hear, I love you, but what do they see? that you love your work more, that you love whatever it is more, what the Bible would define as an idol, as a false god, as in what you're looking to for life. You know, people who come into church, people around us, you people, what do they hear from us? Well, they hear... We love God. We love Jesus. We proclaim that all the time. But what do they see? Do they experience Jesus' love? Or do they see that really what's going on is that we continue to look at what really brings us life? Do we lay aside ourselves and our interests for the sake of one another? Because Jesus said, that's the greatest evangelistic tool that I'm leaving you with costs nothing, requires no degree, requires no amount of thinking. Everyone can do it where they are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that the Lord Jesus came and laid aside his interests for us. And we pray that we, Father, might so find our life in you that we would do the same for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.